forever. Dog. Just between us. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and my kneecap doesn't like to stay in place. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and I'm also Tom from The Water Company. Okay, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were talking about this before, where the water in the town that I'm in is run by one man named Tom. (laughs) And you email him. To get your water turned on or turned off, you email him credit card information for him t- to pay for your water. <laughs> uh, it's one guy, and he seems to be running the water. Now, what I found out is I brought that up to some of my neighbors, and they said, oh, fuck Tom. <laughs> <gasps> what do you mean they don't like Tom? They don't like him. I guess he, he let some water overflow on the street, and one of their trucks got stuck. Now he's like, I'll never forgive him. So now there's a whole drama between our neighbor and Tom. Our neighbor said, like, I hate Tom. I have a, a key that I use to turn on and off my own water. So don't even email Tom. I'll just turn if he turns your water off for non payment, I'll just turn it back on. <laughs> what? Wow. I live in a small town. I'm very invested in all the drama. Yeah, I mean, are you gonna live there more than in LA? Like what's the what's the plan, yo? I've pulled my groin. I've pulled my groin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are we not? Okay, I'm surprised that you didn't like start this by talking about how you pulled your groin because I thought you were going to say I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I pulled my groin. Like what happened to that? Well, because my my knee subluxed earlier this week. And so I thought that would be a bigger deal to talk about. But now I'm having more pain in my my upper left thigh. (laughs) How did you pull your groin? I don't know. I just woke up today and I'm in pain. What's a groin? What's a groin? Is it just my thigh? Because it's just my it's my upper thigh that's hurting. Yeah, that's your groin. That's my groin. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah. The word groin is starting to sound really weird to me now. <laughs> <laughs> Was it a sex injury? No. And don't talk to me like that. <laughs> don't talk to me like I'm Tom from the water company. <laughs> I am a lady. Respect my personal boundaries, Gabby Dunn. Please. But if you injure your groin. No, you know what it is? I bet what happened is because my knee, I have a genetic disposition to my kneecap, leaving where it needs to be and causing me injury. I had a big Uh dislocation in February. And then this past Sunday, I had a subluxation, which basically means the kneecap left, but went back in on its own. Thank God. And so now I'm back to doing these like leg lift exercises. And I think that to to strengthen the muscle. And I think that uh-huh. maybe I pulled it doing that. This is just between us, a variety show filled with heartful advice, ridiculous games and brutal honesty. All right. So we have got a great episode for you guys this week, but I do think that we really need to acknowledge that it some trigger warnings for the interview portion of this show. We will be talking with Vanessa Rosetto and asking some tough questions about nutrition. With that comes with a lot of discussion about food. There is some discussion of weight loss, weight gain. 
eating, disordered eating, eating disorders. And so if this isn't um, your cup of tea or something, you're not in the right headspace to listen to, then I would either jump through this interview portion or maybe this just isn't the right episode and we'll join back with you next week. And later we'll be discussing professionalism. But first we have got to answer a listener's question. So hit it! International question! International question! International question! Camilla, France! Hi, Allison and Gabby. I've been a fan of yours for so long, I don't even remember how I found you. Probably looking on YouTube for how to come out as bi. I remember (laughs) watching your videos back in 2015. I've been listening to the podcast since the beginning, and I think it's the perfect combination of fun and serious topics. You are great. Please never stop, or my Wednesday mornings will be so sad. I'm Camilla, she, her, Italian, living in France. So Allison can choose whatever goes best for the song between France, Italy, and France, Italy. I went with France, but looking back, I should have said France, Italy. (laughs) TLDR. I would love to have a pet, but I'm terrified of all animals. How do I stop being scared? It seems like a stupid question. People usually ask me why on earth would I want a pet if I'm scared of animals? The main reason is that I think it would help me with my mental health. I think I am depressed, possibly bipolar, but I've never been diagnosed. I've been to therapy twice, but neither of the therapists were a great match, and the idea of looking for a third one overwhelms me. I think having to care for a pet would bring me so much joy. I would love playing with them and having a little fluffy thing to cuddle when I'm back home from work. However, this is on paper. In reality, I'm really scared of animals, like really terrified. I remember an older episode in which Gabby talked about ants. That's exactly how I feel about most animals. A couple of times, however, I've met with friends that have a particularly quiet pet, and after being in the same room for some time, I was able to pet them and play with them. This happened twice with two different dogs and once with a cat. So I really think that if I were to adopt a pet, I would get used to them and we would be very happy together. I also read online that people suggest first-time pet owners get an older pet so that their personality is already developed and you know what you're getting. By the way, do you agree on this? However, cuddling and playing with a pet is one thing, but I'm aware that owning a pet is not just fun and games. I saw my friends with dogs having to put their hands in their dog's mouth because the dog ate something they weren't supposed to. This terrifies me, and I can't imagine getting to the point of being comfortable doing this. Same goes for trimming a cat's nails. Another thing that overwhelms me is thinking of bringing them to the vet and being surrounded by animals I don't know in the waiting room. I spoke to my boyfriend about this. We lived together, so we would get the pet together, and he would be very happy to get a pet, and he also offered to do the things that scare me at the beginning, but what if he is away and there's an emergency? Please help me out. Sorry for the very long email. Keep doing what you're doing. You're both great. Oh my God, this is so moving for some reason. What do you think? You're the expert. (laughs) Well, this brought up like a lot of different things for me um, because as a lot of listeners know one of the main reasons I got my first dog was because I have OCD and I thought that she would be really great exposure therapy for me because I I have a contamination OCD and so animals are inherently a little less clean (laughs) than humans are or you know it's different it's like allowing something into Mm -hmm. your house so on the one, I'm a huge proponent of, of exposure therapy. And basically, that's what you would be doing, right? You have a phobia of animals. And by getting a pet, you would be working on that pho- phobia through like a pretty intense exposure, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm also 
currently doing exposure therapy for the first time as an adult. And it is hard, but one of the things that I'm really learning is the easiest exposures for me are the ones where there's a value add, right? Mm -hmm. And so where I'm doing something that even though I feel discomfort doing it, it adds a benefit to my life. And this really sounds like what this would be for you. And so it maybe seems like a situation where the discomfort would would be worth it. And also chances are the level of discomfort won't last as long as you think and also might not be as intense as you think. So like one of the changes I've made even just in the few weeks that I've been doing this therapy is that now I'm able to sit on the floor of my apartment. Whereas Mm. before I would always just squat when I was like interacting with the dogs or doing something low to the ground. And uh, my boyfriend recently adopted our foster dog. So I kind of have a second dog now, which is very exciting, but he's super playful. And so being able to sit on the floor with him is a value add. So even though like Mm -hmm. I had to like work through my discomfort of the fact that I found the floor gross, now I've become more comfortable doing it. And so I can play on the floor with my my new dog and I can, Mm -hmm. it's more physically comfortable for me than when I would have to squat. And so I really think about, you know, motivating yourself through the idea that even though this might be tough and might, you know, there might be some inherent discomfort through it, like things like going to the vet or potentially having to do things with your own future pet that initially scare you, the value add would be huge because I am a huge proponent of getting a pet for your mental health. I think that it's calming. I think it's wonderful to have something to focus on other than yourself. I think being a a caregiver to a living thing is a really empowering, wonderful thing to do. But I think it's one of those things where you have to approach it knowing there will be discomfort, but maybe that discomfort is ultimately worth it. Yeah, it really can change your life and your focus and your priorities in a lot of ways. Like I also I have bipolar disorder. And before I had my dog, I would get depressed and I would just stay in my room. And throughout all of my ups and downs, I still have to take care of beans. Mm -hmm. So it's become part of my routine. You have to get up. You have to take him out. You have to feed him. And so like I came home, uh, I was having a really bad mental health time a few weeks ago. And I came home to LA and I left beans with Mal at our cabin. So I didn't have beans for like 10 days while I was home. And I was having some like mental health problems while I was there. I was really stressed out and anxious and not having beans there stood out to me because I would wake up and there was no reason for me to get out of bed or do any of the things or start my day because I didn't have to attend to beans or I didn't go to bed at the right time because I didn't have beans like starting to scratch at me being like, it's bedtime, you know, like, I realized how imperative he's become for me to be able to like stick to my routine. And he's made my life so much better. I'm not gonna like, sugarcoat it. He does he get diarrhea? Yeah. Does he you know, are there things where you're like, Oh, man, like, You know, the two days ago, he threw up water onto the bed and it was like 1 a.m. and Mal and I had to change the sheets like, you know, and it's not his fault. He's a baby. But you find yourself it, it becomes part of you. Like you find yourself just like hopping into action or like needing to take care of this thing that isn't you. And it really takes your mind off and it really helps you like get into a rhythm that I noticed his absence. It was less of a good life. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Yeah. And I I mean, I think that 
what I'm really learning with the exposure therapy of it all is the willingness factor, right? And so like if you feel in your heart that you have a willingness right now to take on this fear of animals because you want to make this change in your life because you think having this pet will bring you joy, that it will enhance your life and you can feel that you have that willingness, then follow that, you know, like- If you have the willingness, then it will just become, you'll just go right into it. Like it'll just like fall to, it'll, it seems like, oh my God, it seems overwhelming. It'll fall into place for you. I promise. And you know, and and check in with yourself. Like, does it feel more just like this idea that you think intellectually would be good, but then like in your heart, you don't feel ready for, maybe you don't have that willingness, but if you truly feel willing, but you're just uh, worried then I think it might be a great time to push yourself. And in terms of the adopting a senior animal of it all, I actually think that that's a wonderful idea. The one thing I will say, though, is when you get a rescue, uh, it takes them a little bit of time to come out of their shell. So even if you uh, adopt a senior dog, which I, I think would be wonderful, that dog day one is probably going to be different than that that dog day 100. <laughs> but in a uh-huh. wonderful way in that they will become more comfortable. They'll be able to feel like they can be their full selves. But it's not like just because it's older, they're going to be themselves right away. But that's why I actually think fostering might be a wonderful option for you to foster a senior dog. Give yourself a few weeks. See how it goes. See if you're connecting with this dog. Let yourself fall in love with the dog see if they fit into your life the way that you had hoped. And then it's called like fostering to adopt and then being able to to make that, that full-time commitment to take them on as your pet. But I think that there are times where we can push ourselves and, and it can really have wonderful benefits. And to me, this sounds like that for you. It sounds like a really exciting time in your life where you, you really might push past something that you don't necessarily love about yourself that has caused you you know, some heartache because you, you want to have relationships with animals because animals are freaking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Going for trimming nails and all that stuff, you can get the dog groomed. You don't have to Mm -hmm. do all of that. But I will say that your friends that just automatically put their hands in their dog's mouth because the dog ate something, your wish for the dog to be safe and live will, I promise you, overcome any grossness you have it, it it happens so fast because you love this little being mm-hmm. I'm like I don't care I like love my sleep blah 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 beans was sick the first time beans was sick I was up with him till four in the morning like rubbing his belly and I was like not even mad fully fine like the next morning I was so tired but I was like oh he's the real you know like you just start loving this thing and it becomes as important to you like over your fears, basically, or your annoyances, I found. Yeah. And also there are some dogs where it is safe for the owner to do that. And there are some dogs where it would never be safe for the owner to do that. Right. Like I'm very lucky in that my dogs allow me to do things like that. Like I can put my hand in Sugar's (laughs) mouth and she won't bite me. But my parents' Mm -hmm. dog, that's not true. If my parents' dog gets something, they're not really able to put their hands in the dog's mouth. Yeah. But, you know, I, you, you have to get your own to know your own dog. You have to learn, you know, your your dog's habits and also like training your dog for situations like that. So training your dog to know, drop it so that you don't have to put your hands in their mouth. And, you know, potentially working with a trainer might be a good way to ease some of these anxieties. But I also think that what Gabby talked about in terms of like 
the love overcoming the fear and the discomfort and the phobia is like 100% true. And my OCD shows up way less when I'm interacting with my dogs than with anything else because of my love for them. And it's wonderful. Yes. So please keep us updated. I really hope that you get a little pooch and I would like to see a photo. (laughs) If you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Vanessa Rosetto. Stay tuned. Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. This week on the show, we have Vanessa Rosetto, who is a registered dietitian and co-founder of Kalina Health. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Oh, we are so excited to talk about this because this is a topic that we've wanted to talk about on the show for a very, very long time. I just feel like to start, like, because talking about eating and talking about nutrition can be, you know, somewhat triggering for people. Do you have advice for us, like heading into this conversation of how we can be mindful of people with eating disorder history and who are triggered by this kind of conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think that I definitely talk about nutrition in a very different way. I think for a long time, nutrition just feels like very elitist, very thin, very rich, very white, very like unrelatable. Mm -hmm. So that's just like triggering. And I'm literally the antithesis of all of those things. (laughs) So that's helpful. I just think people need to like, look, you don't even tell you that you need to eat. Like you should eat a vegetable at lunch and dinner and a piece of fruit and like drink water and move your body after that. Like it's just like whatever your goals are. If your goal is weight loss, then how you approach food is entirely different than somebody who maybe has like type two diabetes or someone who is maybe healing their relationship with food. All of those things fit and not everybody's way is right or wrong. I mean, obviously, if you're telling people to do detoxes and count calories, you're an a-hole, but like, otherwise, like, it's totally fine, right? Like we, there's space for all of us to exist here. So as someone who's kind of an outlier in the industry, what made you want to get involved in nutrition? So my whole life I was thin. I never had an issue with weight because my mom was making my food literally like the morning I was leaving for college. She was like packing me food, right? My mom is from Haiti. So I don't know. My mom just cooked the food and I ate it. And she was just, I think, so happy. My parents like happy to be in a country where like food is accessible to you <laughs> like at all times. They talk about a lot that like in Haiti, like my mother and father grew up very wealthy, but there's no infrastructure. So like poverty exists next to people being rich. And even though you're rich, if a bridge is washed away, the trucks can't get over to bring food and you're going to go hungry too. So my mother made food and we ate it. And so I didn't know anything about food. And when I got to college and I was eating like Sbarro pizza and like White Castle, because that's what there was on Fordham Road. I went to Fordham University. I gained 50 pounds. And then when I graduated from college, I had to move home because my parents were like, we're not going to get you an apartment when you're like making $25,000 a year. That just dates me. And so I had to move back home and my mother was going, was back to making my food and I lost 50 pounds like relatively quickly, like in two and a half, three months. But I wasn't trying. I was just like eating food because it was like 
the year was 2000 and there was no Instagram and like all there was was Atkins and Weight Watchers. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know anything. I just like went back to eating my mom's food and I didn't have make a lot of money. So I had to bring my lunch to work. And then I was like very curious about it. So I knew I should see a dietitian. So I went and saw a dietitian. Her name is Carrie Glassman. She's pretty well known dietitian, a good friend of mine to this day. And she just like talked about food in a way that made sense. It was like, this is what happens when you eat a carbohydrate. This is a carbohydrate. You should have a carbohydrate because all your cells need carbohydrates. And this is what happens when you eat a protein. And this is what a protein is. And I just thought like, wow, this is really eye-opening and interesting. And it would be really nice to be able to help people around this. So I want to do that. But I, I still took time. I like finished a master's in marketing and like I got married and then I was like, I think I'm going to do this nutrition thing. I'll take a few classes. And I did and I liked it. And here I am now, you know, 15 years later. But when you were starting, did you find that it was like exclusive space where there was were there other people that that sort of had your insight or your perspective on it when you were like starting out? No, except for Carrie Glassman, honestly, like in the year like 2006, everybody was just like really thin and rich and wore Von Cleef and like, you know, their husbands were financiers and you just like, oh, I could be like this. And if you wanted to be like that, you had to like wire your mouth shut and not eat anything and like eat kale, even if you hated it and drank teas and licked lollipops, which I thought was like so weird. And my training is clinically, I did that on purpose because I really understood that like, I need to understand the body and how it works. So I went to NYU and I was trained at Mount Sinai and I learned a lot about medicine and the body as a whole. And I also got to counsel a lot of different people in New York City. All like the major health systems are like across the street from like housing projects. It's like really weird, but like Saudi Arabian princes and like celebrities come to these hospitals because like medicine is happening in New York City. You got to meet all kinds of people, which helped you in disseminating this information to people with low health literacy. Mm. And I've really helped a lot of people despite where they are on that totem pole, right? Like not everybody's going to be a lawyer and a doctor and not everybody's going to understand science. And so my job as a practitioner, my, my duty as someone who decided to do this profession because I wanted to help people is to help people feel as though they are seen and heard and that I can help them. And I do my best to do that. Do you have a lot of clients with histories of, of eating disorders or disordered eating? And and if so, like, how do you help them have healthier relationships with food? Yeah. So it depends on where they fall in this area of disordered eating, right? Some people need to be in inpatient facilities. And so I don't treat those people. Mm -hmm. I have partners like a woman named Melanie Rogers. Uh, she has a clinic, eating disorder clinic called Balance. Some people, they're in a more acute state and they need more acute care. I don't provide that, right? Because they, they have to have daily sessions and that's just, that's not what I do. But like the majority of the population has disordered eating. People are just fucked up around food because how your family deals with food is your first introduction to food and likely how you're going to behave. So did you grow up food insecure? Did your mother have an eating disorder? Did you, did people in your family tell you you were fat? Did your mother not let you have the dessert, but let your brother have the dessert because you were a little chunky and he was thin? Like what are, what's the language? Like how you speak to children is so important. So yeah, everybody has a relationship with food and the relationship is complex. And so all of that depends. Also like Maybe you, your family had a great relationship with food, but maybe you had like a boyfriend that talked to you like shit or a girlfriend that talked to you like shit. There is so nuanced. <laughs> and, you know, you have to spend a lot of time helping people like sift through that bullshit. That's like how we counsel 
people who even who don't have an disordered eating, right? That's like very present, like for, like front face, right? Like some you know people have all these issues, but like when somebody comes to me for whatever their thing is, like maybe they have type two diabetes and want to get it under control. The food thing is like session six. I'm like, who are you? How is your day? What? How do you live? Right. What food do you like? <laughs> like right. What What are your beliefs around food? Sometimes you have like African American people, people color, they're like, that's white food, that's black food. Like, shit, I had to spend another like six sessions just talking about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that you know, so like, you gotta deconstruct that thing. Just like talk to people and like make them understand that they're not alone. Everybody believes something about food how they feel is completely normal because of the way that we are programmed in this twisted world. And there is no judgment here. And I'm just here to help you through that and achieve your goals. That is literally all I'm here to do. So let's just get there. (laughs) What is your relationship to food? Okay. So I have to tell you that I don't care about food that much. It's this like thing where I'm just like, well... I have to eat and I'm really over focused on fiber because I have gut problems, which for the longest time I thought was just like made up by people with disordered eating until I experienced them because I'm 43 years old now and things, if you're not 43 years old, I just want you all to know when you turn 43, it's about to get really fucking real. And one day you're going to wake up with reflux and you're going to be like, oh my God, this is it. So, and everyone in my life, like my husband is a great cook. My mom is a great cook. So like, I always have good food around me. So I just eat the food. And so now that I'm older, I'm getting really fucking mad because I have to think about the food and that is making me annoyed. Yeah. (laughs) So so I am resistant to the fact that I actually need to start policing my food a little bit because I have like recurrent SIBO. I have reflux. I'm like very bothered by certain things. And I'm like talking, my GI doctor and I are like best friends now. I said, I was like, can I have your address so that I, not for it to come over, but so I can send you a Christmas gift. She's like, okay. (laughs) But I have her cell phone. Like I, and she'll be like, how come you didn't text me? I'm like, cause I really enjoy our relationship and it's good for my mental health. So now I'm like really angry that I think about food and so I have to say that it's a luxury because my mother never, there was no scale in my house. Wow. My mother never talked about her weight. We like, this is a gift. Oh my God. For all intents and purposes, my mother, I guess, would technically be considered when I was younger, someone who was overweight. It was like not a thing. Like nobody talked about my weight. My mother just, my mother bought like fucking Hawaiian punch and Cheez-Its and shit. And like we had this, we had this pantry at the bottom of the stairs that was just like full of food I don't know we just like ate it so I was really lucky and now in my old age I'm asked <laughs> so, I find it all very inconvenient too do you have issues with like with your stomach now and now you have to watch what you're eating so well yeah reflux from tomatoes and things like that and I drink a lot of coffee which is bad for reflux yeah I mean I grew up with the the mom who was always eating snack wells and doing weight watchers and like you know the kind of like late 90s early oos diet south beach diet book and like that kind of which I, that was such a time for that kind of yeah. thing. And like, do you know like why that was like the era for everyone's mom to develop an eating disorder? Yeah, because what happened was we started to get fatter, right? In 1991 started this like escalation of the obesity epidemic. So in 1991, it was 12% and now it's like 
42.4%. It's like crazy. And we spent all this money trying to vilify macronutrients. So in that time is when we spent billions of dollars trying to say that fat was the culprit for the obesity epidemic, which we know is not true. And we also know that we strip the snack wells of the fat and added sugar, which just makes fat. So there's that. Right. And then, then Atkins right? Mm -hmm. Was like crazy because it was like, you can eat burgers, right? Like we as Americans just take like one little snippet and we just blow it up. So it was like, you can eat burgers and bacon and cheese and be thin. And then you had all these celebrities being like, I did Atkins, I did Atkins, I did Atkins. And they were so skinny. And then it was like, oh, well, South Beach diet, because South Beach is the land of the beautiful people. They just add like a couple of more vegetables and like one carb. So you're not as miserable. This seems like even better. And like, let's keep going. Because remember in the 90s, remember Kate Moss? She was like, nothing yes. tastes as good as, as skinny feels, something like that. Yeah. Like, right? like, and people believed it. So why don't diets work, even though so many Americans have bought into the myth that they do? Well, the thing is, is that diets totally work, but you just can't keep doing them forever, mm. right? Like if I omit, an entire food group, like, of course, I'm going to lose weight. Like, there's always something so sketchy about whatever it is that the diet says, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, don't eat fat. Like, okay, but then you're going to get like, you know, essential fatty acid disease and die. So that's not good. (laughs) Don't eat, don't eat carbs. Cool, cool. How many days can I do that for? Right. But like, every cell in your body needs a carbohydrate. So like, how if I'm like, an active person, that's not going to work. And then I'm just going to binge eat later. I'm also just going to be like crazy because I'm always thinking about how I can like hack this thing. But if I just spent like some time learning about food and how food affects my body, I'd probably have more success. The thing too, is that people want everything so fast. It's just not the way that it works. Yeah. And I blow people's minds a lot because I'm like, okay, listen, you've been doing all this like weird stuff for like many, many years. And so you're conditioned to that and you want these quick fixes, but that's not going to happen. Cause they'll be like this week, I didn't lose weight. And you're like, okay. Yeah. But you look at all the good things that you did. Like you stopped drinking every single day. You only had drinks once this week and you like enjoyed the time with your partner. I have this one guy who's kind of been like that. And yesterday he had this work event and we had our appointment and we, two days ago, we talked about how it's this work cocktail mixer thing and it's via Zoom. So I was like, great, you don't need to pour the alcohol. Just like have your seltzer, be on the Zoom and then like log off because you're in your home. And then he sends me a picture of the cocktail made. And I was like, dump it now. <laughs> and he was like, what? I was like, dump it now. You have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Your goal is to get your liver enzymes down. This is not a joke. And we already talked about that. And he was like, oh my God, you're so right. I was like, yeah, I know. Goodbye. Then this morning he texted me. He was like, by the way, I'm down 12 pounds in eight weeks. I'm like, isn't that interesting? Eating food and sticking to your goals, right? Like you told me that your goal was that you didn't want to just be drinking willy nilly. And like, cause you, you go off the deep end and, and the whole thing is to like, try to stay alive. And then like, here you are just being bored. And he's like, yeah, I just had to like reframe my mind around this. It's like, right, exactly. Yeah. That's a longer term fix than being like, oh, let me react to what I've already done. Right. And the other thing too, is like when we talked through that, I was like, it's one thing if you're telling me that you're going out with your friends or your friends are coming over and you want to have cocktails and like whatever. Okay, great. Like you should do that and you should enjoy your time with your friends because these are people that you love and you want to be around them. But like, these are work people 
and you are really making a concerted effort not to let the holidays be some time or like you're drinking every single night because you've said that this is what happens every December. And in January, you just wake up like deeply depressed because alcohol is a depressant. Like, right. let's go back to what the goal is. Which is to put things in your body that don't make you depressed. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, it's not about weight. It's not about anything. It's like, let's not drink ourselves into 2022. Right. Like, let's just not do that. What do you think about the mindset of not about restricting what you're eating, but adding in foods that your body maybe needs? Yeah, that's what I always do with everyone. I never take anything away. I just give like, we'll talk, Allison, like you and I, and you'll say, this is how I eat this, this, this. And I'll like, listen to your day. And I'll be like, okay, well, you don't drink any water and you don't eat any fruit. So like, let's, can we have like a piece of fruit every day? And like, can we work on drinking more water this week? You'll be like, that's it. I'm like, yep, that's it. Come back. <laughs> thing, Right. Or maybe it's like, or this is the other thing that makes me insane. It's like, I don't eat till four. I'm not comfortable. Until, like, can you just eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner? I know this is very uncomfortable. I know for some reason you think intermittent fasting works. Everyone, intermittent fasting, the studies have only been done on white males. If that's not what you look like, you should probably abort this idea. Yeah. This is not a good idea. Your body is probably making carbohydrates anyway because the liver does that, which is then releasing insulin, which is a storage hormone, which is why your weight just goes up and down all the time. So just like eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So you stop binging at night. We got to help ourselves. If you feel that like you're a binger, right? Like I, I have binge eating disorder. Got it. Copy. Well, not eating till five o'clock isn't a way to help yourself. Mm. So if you ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I'm not saying you're not going to binge. I understand there's psychology around it. But if you're properly fueled, perhaps the binges won't happen every single day. Mm. And then we could start peeling back those layers and working towards not having them happen every single week. And then hopefully not at all, right? But if we're going to like, you know, 12 hours, no food we're not going to be successful. And so much of that is the relationship with the food, right? Yeah. Like food doesn't have morality. There's no good food or bad food. Mm -hmm. Like when people are like, I was bad today. I'm like, why were you bad? They're like, I eat pizza. I'm like, it's like a perfect food. There's protein, there's fat, there's carb. I mean, it's not good for my reflux, but shit, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've made that mistake of, of talking about foods as healthy and unhealthy. And I, you know, I had a listener email reach out to me saying that that's really harmful and incorrect. And I'm realizing that and I'm trying to change my vocabulary around it and, and more think of it as like, okay, I haven't gotten this nutrient yet because I haven't had a vegetable, but the pizza I did have yeah. isn't bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, it's great. And like, the thing is, is that I talk about this with my kids. I have a seven and nine year old. And so they know that food provides fuel to the body. Right. And so like my kid will say, Today, he was like, can I have golden grams? I have golden grams now. Can I have golden grams? And he was like, but also, can you make me an egg? Because the golden grams don't have a lot of protein and I don't want to be hungry later. So if I have the egg, it'll make me feel full. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> he said it. He got it. <laughs> I do want to talk about the role of protein because I feel like I'm forever trying to chase protein. And I'm also trying to cut meat out of my life because from my values, I don't like eating meat just from a stance of that I love animals. But the big fear of cutting the, the meat out is is the protein. So how would you approach a, a problem like that? Yeah. For me, I'm not creative enough to say goodbye to meat. Mm -hmm. It's just like I want to be able to like grab and go. But I, I totally get what you're saying. So 
definitely beans, right? Like beans are just like such an easy way for protein. If you're open to having eggs, you can have eggs and egg whites, cheese. You can have like pistachios, for example, are give six grams of complete protein per serving you can do like soy crumbles sometimes like we've done like so many studies on soy and you know the newest study is that it doesn't affect women adversely even if that woman were to have an estrogen-based cancer i'm sure it'll change in a year but if you want to have like tofu once in a while like that's fine too so those are just like like five or six ways right to just like get different protein in and i think if you think about it in this way you have five chances a day right if you were eating three main meals and two snacks and let's say for breakfast you had like oatmeal then you had like you know a piece of fruit and pistachios for a snack then you had you know a half a cup of chickpeas and you know salad and veggies or whatever and then maybe you didn't have anything or maybe more nuts for another snack and then like at dinner time maybe you had like ground turkey tacos like you did pretty good right yeah. like four out of the five meals and you still got a ton of protein and so maybe you're not eating as much or or maybe you're saying you know what like i'm okay it's like it's easy to just like ease your way into that and figuring out the things that you like and the flavor profiles you know you just have to get pretty creative on like what you're making but beans are always like a, a go-to that are easy and pretty versatile mm-hmm. i'm interested a lot in the divorcing of weight from nutrition, right? Because I think also there's this emphasis and we've been doing it here slightly is is focusing on the experiences of women who are seen as being pushed to be thin, being pushed, whatever. But like, is there like a way that people come in and they're like, I don't actually really care about losing weight. I just want to be more healthy. And that like, I feel like men are encouraged to say that and women are encouraged to be like, let's lose weight. Yeah. So that's also the language that like in our practice, we, we talk like this too. So it's not about losing weight. Like it's always about clinical, mm-hmm. right? Like everybody's always talking about this weight loss thing. And it's like, well, whatever, that's not, I don't care. I care about what is going on with you clinically. And maybe it is that you came in and you're like, hey, I feel like I'm always yo-yoing all the time and I'm so hyper-focused on my weight and I don't want to be like that anymore, but I'm always into these gimmicks. So can you help order the way that I eat? Yeah, totally, 100%. That's fine. But if you really bring it to someone has elevated labs, somebody you can track that data, right? So my nanny, who is my life, she's like more important to me than my husband because it's like the whole, like he, I'm like, you have to live. You have to live. Her lipids are off the charts. And she's like, V, I need to lose 20 pounds. I'm like, girl, you need to get this fucking LDL down below a hundred. So we need to start chasing fiber. So like, that is the way that I instructed her. And I gave her all the ways how. You can add two tablespoons of chia to your oatmeal. That's 11 grams of fiber. You can do have beans here. You can do. And so she's like, okay, I get it. And of course I was like, you need to see somebody on our team. Like what is going on? And so that is what the focus is. And that's what she's focused on. So yeah, is she going to probably lose 20 pounds? Probably. But that's not what I'm caring about. Yeah. I'm caring about that she gets this much fiber in a day, that she's cooking in this way, that she's drinking this water so that she can be successful. 
Mm-hmm. Who cares about weight? Weight, right? You, if you didn't, you didn't go to the bathroom in two days. Your weight's gonna be up. If you had salty food, your weight's gonna be up. I don't know. It's like you're gonna turn forty. Your bigger concern is you need to poop regularly. Like <laughs> exactly. we're not gonna tackle the weight weight loss, whatever. All the time they come in and they're like, "I only go to the bathroom once no. a week." I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" I honestly, I'm like, "Nope." So this is all we have to work on, and then I then we work on that, and they come back and they're like. I lost like seven pounds. I'm like, I know. You You lost seven pounds of poop out you. Go to the bathroom, guys. (laughs) What role do you feel like intersectionality plays in the work that you do? Because as you already spoke to originally, this was very white-centric, rich white-centric work. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, people don't see me. Actually, it's so funny. I mean, it's not funny. It's sad, but we're scaling Kulina. We're raising $3 million and we've secured $2.9 million. Congratulations. Congrats. Yeah, thanks. We're trying to compete in the digital health space. We're trying to make this accessible to everyone. We're trying to really help people in a real way. And, you know, people can use their insurance to do that, right? And so today an investor gave us the, like, almost the last money that we need. And I started crying because I said to these two white women, you see me. You fucking see me. It's fucking awesome. Thank you for seeing me. Because, you know, there are these dietitians out there that call themselves allies, but I hear them say things like, the only reason anyone cares about Vanessa or what she has to say is because she's black. And it's like, guys, fuck you. If that was the truth, then I would have faded away. I'm saying the things that matter. And I want people to know that nutrition is a modality that actually elicits change. And so you can't just be about intuitive eating and food freedom and you can't be prescriptive. It has to come in the middle because you have to show data points for people to believe you. That is the only way it's going to work. It's the only way it's going to work. And that's what we're trying to do. It's being in this like venture space these past few months is very clear to see how black women are not seen. They're just not. And when I open my mouth, it's very clear that I come from a place where like most people in America don't think black people come from, which is my parents love me. They are married. They sent me to the top schools. I vacationed in Europe every summer. I am well-educated and I can play in your space. I don't need to be saved by anyone. And actually, I can help save you. It's like... Yeah. (laughs) It shouldn't have to be that way. And also, you being Black is an asset. Like, okay, if people are listening to you because you're Black, good. They're getting in the door. They are feel seen. They feel like they have a doctor who knows what they've gone through. Yeah. How is that bad? Exactly. Everybody wins. And one time somebody paid me a really great compliment. He was like, I feel like the Jewish woman in Scarsdale and the uh, the person in a housing project, they could all relate to you. They could all come to you. You you could. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm trying for. I want people to come to us and know that we are here for them no matter what. Mm -hmm. Like you can find someone that looks like you in our practice that can help Mm -hmm. you. So come see us. Right. And like, but the thing is, I don't let it get me down. It's just like more fuel to my fire so that I can do good work. Cause I just want to do good work. Right. That's it. Well, as a Jewish woman from Scarsdale, <laughs> I, I very much am appreciative of everything that you're doing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love Scarsdale. Wow. <laughs> it's good. Exactly. I wanted to ask about detoxes and juice cleanses. And what is the deal with that? And why are they pushed everywhere? And why is it bad? I mean, 
I just feel like some celebrity did a fucking cleanse and everyone's like, I'm going to do it too. Except like, I'm not saying that JLo did a cleanse, but she's always like who I talk about because I obviously want to be her because she is perfect. But like, you know, she has means. So like, if you're only drinking juice, you could lay in bed while your staff takes care of your kids, walks your dog, cleans your house and brings you more juice. Mm -hmm. The rest of us... (laughs) regular people i just love that image (laughs) yeah right could you imagine like but the rest of us don't have those luxuries like i don't have a chef that's gonna make my tomatoes taste like chocolate Mm. i mean my tomatoes probably freaking molded because i forgot about them so it's like that's the thing you saw a celebrity for five days drink a juice and lose weight and was like this is dumb also like your body doesn't need to detox because you have systems that do that for you. And if it's not doing that, you are in the ICU and in a world of trouble. Mm-hmm. So it's like not necessary. <laughs> like you don't need to detox from the bad holidays. Like what is that? D- like just tomorrow, drink water and eat a fruit. I don't know. Yeah. Like, you don't need like, oh, I ate so much sugar. I need to detox from it. No, you don't. You just, if you don't feel good because you ate 12 cookies last night, you probably just don't need to eat 12 cookies today. It's a quick fix thing that doesn't last. And also, here's my thing with celebrities. They show this stuff. They've had lipo. Like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like you, they they talk about this. They show this. They say, oh, I haven't had any work done. I just do this diet. Liar. You are a liar. They're liars. You've had lipo. You've had a tummy tuck. Like, I wish that people would just, mm, there's one particular celebrity that I am, I think has had work done and they're lying about it. And I, I think it's so insidious. And I see people commenting them in their comments, like complimenting yeah. them. And I'm like, there's no way this person worked out to get this. It's like, ugh. on one side, it's like, you know, my partner was like, it's none of your business. What they have, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, it is my business. <laughs> <laughs> they are my enemy now. I agree. Right. I mean, they're all having like it's it, it, it's surgery. When we're not recording, we can talk about who that is. But <laughs> I've helped many celebrities. And they never say that I helped them. Yep. Many of them. They'll never say that it was me. But then they will promote like a lollipop. And you're like, Correct. this is horrible. Like, why can't you tell people that you worked really hard? And of course, you do have means because you have chefs and, and the like. And so it was extra easier for you. But like, just tell the truth. Yeah. Like, right. Like show people that you could just rely on a professional to help you. That's fine. Yeah. Ton of them have had surgery because they like don't want to do the work or they don't have time or yeah, or just like they have oh there's this one little spot that won't go away great don't try to to tell other people because then they just people regular people who by the way we all live our lives looking how we look it's like then you start to be like my oh there's like a little spot on my leg that my thigh that's a little and it's like no no you know what i always remember i was like younger maybe i was like in my early 20s but sarah jessica parker had her first kid and then she was in an interview maybe like three months later and like you know being looking sarah jessica parker and they're like you look so fabulous and she was like i'm a celebrity i have so much help yeah like i of course i look great like so all the mothers out there do not compare yourself to me because i am not a real person (laughs) and i was like i don't care what anyone ever says about you from now until the end of time I will always come to SJP. I will come to your defense. That <laughs> stayed with me forever. Right, right. And I didn't even have kids. I did not even have kids at the time. But I was like, this is amazing. This woman is telling the right. truth. 
Mm-hmm. I'm rich. I'm a celebrity. So all bets off. You you mentioned these terms earlier, but I'm wondering if you could explain them a bit more. The difference between intuitive eating and prescriptive eating. Yeah. <laughs> so intuitive eating actually, like in the 90s, these two dietitians coined intuitive eating. But let's go back to the beginning with something called eating competence with a woman named Ellen Satter. She's a dietitian and a mental health professional. She looks like your 80s like gym teacher. And I love her. And she has this book, Feeding Families. And she talks about eating competence and the division of responsibility. And that this starts as when you have kids and your job as a parent is to offer the food that your child identifies as safe and food that you want your child to eat. And so you offer those things in tandem. You don't hide food. Sometimes you give snacks that that are candy. And sometimes you give snacks that are carrots. And you know, that's how the world, that's how it works. And also she says that you should time the meals, right? Like snack is at 11, like, especially during COVID when everybody was like, I'm hungry. You're like, no, you're not hungry. You're just bored. Please go away. You're bored. Right. So it was like, you can have a snack at 11 and you can have a snack at three and you can have your lunch at 1245 because otherwise we're just going to be like eating me out of house and home. And by the way, I'm not going to the supermarket during COVID. Uh, so get it together, right? So, and and that's her whole thing. And she also says that in like eating confidence, like we gotta, we need to do this with kids because as an adult, it's very difficult um, to come back from this. And she's the gold standard, but she's not like super sexy, right? She's just like born. Then in the nineties, these women came out and started talking about intuitive eating, which kind of has the same principles, except you just like honor your body and eat whenever you want. And so like, that's just like preference now, right? Those are, this is like nuances, but they sort of like sell this whole idea of like, the more that you like work on this, the, the more your relationship with food is going to be healed. And it's like, all right, cool. That works for you. That's cool. That works for you. But like, what about people who need prescription? So you are a diabetic and you need to know that carbohydrates affect your body in a certain way. And so Diabetics have insulin sensitivity factors. Is it one to 15 grams? Is it one to 30 grams? I need to dose myself appropriately. I can't Mm -hmm. have all these highs and lows. Like I need to keep my numbers in range. I need to be hyper-focused and I need a prescription. Mm -hmm. My nanny with her LDL, that's 222 or something, which is the the indicator of stroke and Mm -hmm. heart attack. She needs to understand that that number needs to come down. How are we going to get it down? You can't eat oranges and grapes together. You need to have the orange or the grape with a fat or a protein. So are we having like turkey slices? Are we having nuts? This is the amount. These things matter in this clinical world. And I've had people come for me and be like, you were saying that diabetics need to have their carbs counted and that's triggering. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry if you if that's triggering for you who has an eating disorder, I can understand that. But you understand where I'm coming from in that situation. This is actually somebody's life. Yeah. So remember what I said from the beginning, it's back to the goal. What is your goal? So intuitive eating could work for you. Eating competence can work for you. And prescription can work for you. And if I give you a prescriptive diet or prescriptive plan, really, it doesn't mean that you're going to veer off into some world of eating disorder. Yeah, it depends on what your specific 
diagnosis is, what your specific right. levels medically that need to go down, that need to be a certain, that's right. you know, number for you not to have a stroke. Right. Exactly. It's like, Hey, like my, cause my nanny was like, Oh, well, I really like to eat grapes. And I'm like, okay, well, how many grapes do you eat? And she's like, I eat the whole thing. I'm like, right. Like everybody else. So the serving size is 18. So this is like not a fun one to eat. You can't have them every day because of your situation right now. Yeah. And she's like, okay, I get that. So like, let's find other fruits that you can eat more of so that you feel satisfied, but aren't going to affect your blood sugars and then your fat Mm -hmm. in an adverse way. She's like, understood. Yeah. Just have a longer, healthier life. Right. Uncomplicated. Mm -hmm. When would somebody benefit from seeing a dietitian? I mean, I think that everybody could benefit from seeing a dietitian because first of all, like, 80% of the world's problems would be solved if I could get them all to poop. Like, (laughs) just poop. I'm telling you, these people who are like, I poop every four days. I'm like, this is not okay. Mm. So there's that. So just like really understanding about food and how it affects you because there's so much freaking noise out there that you don't know what's true and what's not true. Mm -hmm. And everybody's so freaking confused. And like when I hear people talking about food, I like, I hate when people tell people that I'm a dietitian. Like I'm somewhere and they're like, are you going to be mad at me if I eat this McDonald's? And I'm like, I wasn't even looking at you or your meal. Leave me alone. (laughs) Go away. So there's that. So I need people to understand how food affects their body. So everybody could just benefit just by learning, hey, if I eat this way, I'll feel more full and you know, like whatever is going on, right? Because more education. And then people who really do have like chronic disease, nutrition will reduce the burden of the disease, reverse the disease, and also prevent the disease. Mm -hmm. We know that. So instead of being reactive, let's be preventive. Right. And most insurance plans cover this. So it's like no skin off your back. Yeah. And it saves you money in the long run. I mean, look, we live in a horrible capitalist nightmare, but it saves you money in the long run in terms of like getting things treated when they're already happening, which I hate saying because, again, like health care should be a human right. You know, just an aside I like to make every so often. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's the thing. And like, that is the point of our like mission, right? Like, I'm not going to charge somebody $10,000 for nutrition packages when I can just simply take your insurance and we also take Medicaid. So like we're here, right. right? And people who want to see us need to see us, but don't have insurance and don't have the means sliding scale. And I also see people for free all the time. Yeah. I mean, look, there's all kinds of things that need to change, especially with childhood in schools and like childhood, you know, giving them enough food and having access to food in certain areas it's all very insidious like what food goes where it's incredibly racist it's incredibly like based on economic status it's awful it's also based on sexism and misogyny and and the ways that women are taught about you know their bodies i mean i grew up with a mom who shat on herself all the time talk hated everything and she and I look a lot alike and she would nitpick herself and I would be like well yeah no you're beautiful you're beautiful well I look just like you so if I'm beautiful but you're picking apart every part of your appearance then explain 
And she's a yo-yo dieter. She's a yo-yo dieter all, all the time. Sometimes I get these parents. I get parents all the time that will call. I had this one mom once. She was like, I lost 40 pounds on keto and my kids are fat and I need you to help them. And I was like, uh, right. how old are your kids? Right. And she was like, nine and 11. I'm like, your kid's problem is you <laughs> and you need to stop. Yeah. So I can't help you back. Right. She was like, what? But the, or the other people, they were like, you need to tell my kids how to eat. And I'm like, just leave them alone. Yeah. Like, they're little kids. Yeah. Just like, uh, give them the vegetables every day. I, every day my kids eat vegetables at lunch and dinner. I, I don't know. Right. They're fine. Like, I don't know what else to do. They're, they're kids. Yeah. Play, <laughs> I played sports. Like, it's like, I don't know. Exactly. It's... They exercise. They, they run around. They walk. But you should know, too, about how that's what you were talking about, this woman. Like, you should know how you talk about yourself. So even if you go, well, I'm a parent. I don't say to my kid, you're lazy. I don't say to my kid, you, you eat disgusting food. I'm very kind to my child. Your child hears you. Your child mm-hmm. sees you pick yourself apart in the mirror. Your child hears mm-hmm. you say, oh, this is a bad food. Oh, I'm being bad. They hear you. Yeah. And it affects them. No. Now my kids, they're like, oh, Twix. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anyway. I don't have any problems. <laughs> no, I, I don't either. Trust me. But don't worry. My mother fucked me up in other ways. I promise. I, when you're talking <laughs> like, about your mom, though, I was like, wow, what's that like? That's amazing. Don't worry. She was like, you got a 99. You're going to bag groceries at the A&P. See, we all have a story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's that. There's that. Would you like to play a game show? Yes. I do. I'm like, hey, guys, you want to hang out in real life? I love you guys. Okay, yeah, I'm ready. Amazing. Okay, so this game show is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. I give you a series of hypothetical situations. You tell, you can ask any clarifying questions you might have, and then you tell me what you would do with those situations. And then I get to decide if I like the answer. <laughs> it's uh, not fair and incredibly biased. Perfect. Like a lot of diets. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Amazing. So our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? You have been with your partner for two years. While on a solo trip with friends in Palm Springs, you decide to spend the night in Joshua Tree where there is no service. You send a text message to your partner to let them know you won't be reachable for at least 24 hours, but fail to notice that the text didn't go through. Your partner, suddenly unable to reach you, starts to freak out and makes the assumption that you are ghosting them. Distraught, they go out to a bar and sleep with someone else, only to super apologize when you get back in touch. Would you stay with this cheater? This is like a mix of my summer, the show Friends, (laughs) (laughs) and like tied a lot together thank you they were really hurt by the breakup like really hurt when they thought i was ghosting yeah they were like devastated and because they really loved they sleep with just a random rando yeah really all right i think it's my fault (laughs) (laughs) vanessa i'm like what (laughs) uh no i'm done with this person like we were together for two years not two months not two weeks Right? Two years? Yeah. Were we living together? No, because you weren't ready to live together yet, which was another big cause of, of conflict. So they really felt like you had been distant. Yeah, this is my fault. <laughs> this is my fault. Gabby, I want, I'm going to heal you I... from whatever. No, it's not your fault. You are worthy. I say no. I mean, look, generally on this show, my I am so overconfident that these hypotheticals actually veer into like egocentrism. But this one, I do think that's on me. My bad. 
No, I don't know. I can't. I'm out. You should have checked to see if it said delivered. Yeah, again, I, I, I make them a cake that says my bee and I hand it to them. Can you imagine? I just have the people at, at the grocery store like, what do you want on the cake? And I just, just write my bee. <laughs> but so would your answer be different if you had only been with the person for six months? Yeah, maybe. Because then it's like, yeah. Maybe I'd say, because like we don't really know each other. We're still sort of like figuring it out. But the two years thing feels like we're like deep in it. Yeah. Yeah. I made a mistake. As I was reading it, I was like, I should have made this shorter. <laughs> okay. Also, in my defense, the last date I went on was in 2003. So like, I don't, the, nobody ghosted anybody then because the internet wasn't a real thing. Oh so God. like, yeah. They just left in person and never returned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just stop calling. They just mailed Dear John letters. <laughs> Why didn't they think that something bad happened to me and called the police. Exactly. Yeah, Gabby's coming back. <laughs> this reminds me of like in the 70s when like a 14-year-old would go missing and the cops would be like, they're probably running away to start a new life. And it's like, are they? <laughs> yes. No, they're in the house next door in a basement. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Next door. Maybe just do a little police. No? Okay. Uh, so anyway, oh yeah, I guess I'm staying and I'm also ordering a cake from, I said Publix, but that's only in the South. But yeah, Publix. ShopRite. ShopRite. <laughs> Are you in the South, Gabby? No, not currently. I'm from Florida. Got it. Okay, yeah, because I was like, Publix, Florida. Yeah, Florida. <laughs> oh, Publix is great. Speaking of nutrition, no, Publix, is Publix is the best. The best <laughs> it is. It's pretty good. Okay, our next game. Is this a date? Your car needs repairs. But the only loaner car the mechanic has available to give to you for free is a manual and you don't know how to drive stick. When you admit this, the mechanic offers to leave work for a few hours in order to teach you. Is this a date? Why can't I call Uber? Like, it's good. I don't need. It's all right. I can just call Uber. Take me. But it's going to be in the shop for a few weeks. That'd be a lot of money versus a free loaner car. Oh, and they're going to teach me to drive stick? Yeah. Oh, my grandpa tried to teach me to drive stick when I was in high school, and it was real bad. We were in the parking lot just starting and stopping. He was very upset. <laughs> um, So I'm going to say it's not a date because it's never been fun trying to drive stick. Agreed. He's taking <laughs> off hours of work just to help you. I don't want to feel committed to that. Me too. I also feel like it's unsafe. Like, are you going to kill me? Right. And he, and he is. Because guess what? The twist is it's 1975 and no one will report you missing. Oh my God. It feels like I'm going to be on date line. It, re- it does. It's scary. This is not a good one. This is not good. Well, you just passed up an opportunity not only to learn how to drive stick, but also meet your soulmate. Well, I'm safe though. I'm, al- I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. It's a really a win some, you lose some story. Oh my God. Okay. Our final game. Are you a terrible parent? Your daughter, seven, wants to wear makeup to school, but you think they are too young. You compromise by letting them wear so much makeup, it looks like it's for a costume, versus to simply look prettier. They end up loving it and insist on wearing what basically amounts to face paint every day and cry when they have to go out with just their natural face. Are you a terrible parent? I am raising a drag queen. And that is right. If me and Mal's child doesn't dress like they're in drag every day of elementary school, I have failed as a gay parent. (laughs) I want her voguing into school. I want her click clacking on her heel 
always. This makes you a great parent. <laughs> it does. Why? These are life lessons. Yeah. I think these are life lessons. Yeah. What is the takeaway from this lesson? I mean, listen, it's on both sides. First of all, like, Maybe you're going to grow out of it because you look ridiculous. Or maybe this is what speaks to your heart. And my, me as a parent need to just accept that. Yeah. You're not, who are you hurting? You're not hurting <laughs> anyone, baby. I need you to be happy and not on drugs. Yeah. You are hurting yourself because it takes a cool 45 minutes per day to apply the makeup to your daughter. Oh, I have to do it? <laughs> yes. Why do we have? I'm not good at it. No. Do you see me right now? I have no, no. Makeup goes bad in my house. This this child will have to do it themselves. Yeah. 45 minutes on makeup is like a nightmare. Oh, they take three hours sometimes, the queens. Yeah, no. No, I don't have time for that. I love how good parent until you have to be involved in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's parenting. Yes. Delegation. This is what you need to be able to do. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about what you do and all of your amazing work? You can go to um, KalinaHealth.com or also like at Kalina Health and then you can find me there and all the RDs that work for us and, and come on by. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And RD means registered dietitian for those not in the know. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I worked hard to get those stupid letters. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like on your website right now. No joke. <laughs> Come see us. Okay. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about professionalism. Does it exist anymore? I don't know. Just between us, it's time for topics. X X X X X X X baby, baby. So this week, I was inspired to talk about professionalism based on how people in Congress act now. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't know anything about this when you sent the person's name. I was like, who? Uh, and I was better for not knowing. Uh, this is <laughs> uh, Allison mentioned Lauren Bobert. As like a name of someone who's acting unprofessional. Can you explain to me what's going on with this woman? Well, she's just calling other Congress people terrorists. She's like, you know, that another Congress person had posted that video of like, like an avatar of him, like killing AOC. Like there just seems to be no decency from our political leaders in a way that I find incredibly shocking. And like no sense of like, I need to behave a certain way as a public political figure. But at the same time, I also feel like there have been benefits and there being less professionalism than there there used to be in terms of like being able to dress more comfortably, being able to be more honest about what's going on in your life. If like you need medical leave or mental health leave or, you know, not feeling like you have to mm -hmm. present a picture perfect version of yourself to your company. And so I feel kind of torn between what seems to be the dissolution of professionalism. Well, I think there's a big difference between, hey, I need to wear sweatpants and I would like to post a video of myself shooting you. My colleague, right. <laughs> yeah, like it's, you can disagree in Congress and you know, Trump sort of set, I think, a really bad standard in terms of posting videos of violence. Let's just take one example on social media. 
I think like there's a difference too between you could say like, oh, the the left, you know, is also unprofessional. But like there's a difference between someone saying, hey, this policy that you're putting forward is actually homophobic, transphobic, racist, you know, doesn't create economic equality. And someone saying, well, you're a terrorist. Right. (laughs) Then it's interesting because what does professionalism even mean? Like, you know, it's so funny to think about how Trump behaved. And then we like didn't let Howard Dean become president because he whooped a little too loudly. Like, what? <laughs> like, wh- what does it even mean anymore? Yeah. And I and I find myself kind of like struggle, you know, sometimes I like want to end my emails to like people I work with frequently with like XOXO. And I'm like, is that appropriate? <laughs> like, I don't know. And like, I'll see like how they and their emails to me to see if like I can do it. Like, you know, cause like, yeah. like certain people, like my book agent, I interact with a lot. She's a woman my age. Like, and I'm like kind of trying to figure out like what to buy her for the holidays. And as like a thank you, I'm like, well, I want it to be something she'd actually use and not a cold gift. But I also like, I don't want, I don't want it to be too familiar, you know, like it's this awkward line that you're walking between. Yeah. Like, is it, do you get like a bath bomb? But then is that weird to be like, now you're in the bath? Like, right. (laughs) (laughs) And and having been a teacher for this last year, interacting with students was like definitely me putting on this this professional persona more than I have had to do in other aspects of my career. But also my my students are just texting me. So I'm like, do my texts need to be super professional? Yeah. Even just like interacting via text with my students. I'm like, is it weird if I like heart their response? (laughs) It's hard to know like what is the appropriate line and like how different should our behavior be? in professional relationships than personal relationships now that they're whereas I feel like before there was like very strict rules that I think weren't necessarily Mm -hmm. necessary I'm struggling to find like that balance people don't even follow them though like uh, like first of all it depends on who you're talking about because like men have always been super weird to me at my jobs always you know there's never been a job when some older white man wasn't very weird to me I mean, when I was an intern, when I was an intern at The Daily Show, so I was 21, I was hooking up with someone who worked there, an older man who worked there. And like, I, you could say, okay, like you're like a, an adult, you know, you're whatever. But like in the office, I'm an intern. This person's a grown up. And when we walked into the office, he would be like, I go in first, you wait 10 minutes, you go in. Like, there's never been professionalism. It's like a facade. There's always been this facade of professionalism. But then I feel like women and people of color and minorities in the workplace have always borne the brunt of like, nudge, nudge, maybe not. Maybe now I'm going to say a weird racist thing to you. Like, now just people are mask off. Now it's just like people are openly being like you're a terrorist to Ilhan Omar rather than making some joke behind her back. You know, like, it's just like a level of like, okay, now we're we're actually like saying it where it would have been like a joke at the water cooler in the 80s. You know what I mean? Especially with like seeing these Congress people act this way publicly. That's like trickle down economics doesn't work, but trickle down like behavior is true. (laughs) Like, you know, and and so I'm I'm curious the ripple effect that this sort of thing has. And it's worrisome. 
probably not great for the person who goes into their office job and wears a hijab and their stupid fucking coworker is like, you know, a fan of this Lauren Boebert person, you know, that's who it trickles down to. It makes Mm -hmm. some poor office workers day shitty. I know. Melissa, do you want to come in and share your thoughts as a, as a small business owner? I feel like if you show up on time, do your work, and aren't problematic, then that's being professional. Anything mm. else that you bring to the job, like one time I was working with somebody and I had actually been working with them for a, a long time. And he was somebody that was my superior. And like one time he texted me and he was like, I need some people time. Can I come over to your place? And I'm just like, what? Like, that's unprofessional. Oh, my God. I fucking when people are like, I saw a video that you did in the past and like you were like peeing in the video, which like fucking BuzzFeed had us do all kinds of shit. It's like, okay. And why did you there's a you know what? There's a difference between thinking it and then telling the other person. Just (laughs) find the video and go to yourself. Oh, that's interesting. And then move on. Like, that's part of the job. That's part of that profession. And, you know, professionalism, quote unquote, changes. Because, I mean, like, even like with podcasting, you have to, well, depending on what the show is, you have to share more of your personal life and be closer to, like, tell things that you might necessarily tell in, like, a corporate office space. Right. So it's like professionalism is different depending on what you do. If you're a congressperson, you shouldn't they that that side of politics just grates my gears or grinds my gears whatever the saying <laughs> um i'm just like how is that allowed and why is it not being reprimanded mm-hmm. because they're elected officials and the people that elect them say good job <laughs> if you were in an office and you referred to your colleague as a terrorist um you would get in trouble <laughs> They would fire you, but who who fires Congress people? It's ultimately the constituency, and the constituency has decided we love it. Yeah. Yeah. Melissa, have you ever, you don't have to answer this and we can cut it or whatever, but have you ever dealt with people saying that your hairstyle was unprofessional in any way? Like how I hear a lot of black women deal with? No, but I think that's because I work in entertainment. Yeah. But I, you know, I've been thinking about like dress codes and stuff in terms of like if I start practicum sometime next year and and feeling like in that situation i i think i do want to dress differently than i dress you know for my creative job and that like i do want to go get some more professional looking clothes and and then i'm like well why do i feel that way is that necessary mm-hmm. is that remnants of an old way of thinking or would maybe dressing more professional make my clients feel more at ease and you know and like mm. it's so complicated <laughs> Or would it change how you behave? Would maybe like putting on a blazer gives you a different like confidence? Yeah, I actually think that 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 really resonates with me that then I would be in my intern headspace versus my Allison as a public figure headspace, if that makes sense, or Allison as a creative headspace. Yeah, that's why I wear a lab coat when we do this show. (laughs) it's green today don't tell on me they can see you (laughs) they're watching on on youtube i wear a lab coat and a stethoscope stethoscope stethoscope? what's a stethoscope (laughs) i mean you guys seen me like when we would record in person before i would wear blazers and professional Mm -hmm. clothes just because you wear high heels yeah, um, I like wearing high heels, but 
like I wore blazer because I felt like before I started wearing, I wasn't being taken seriously. So I did. And then people did take me more seriously. And it also like boosted my own confidence too. What do we rate this episode? Hmm. I will rate it 20 out of 10 grams of protein. Nice. (laughs) I'll rate it 50 out of 40 hands in a dog's mouth. (laughs) I was going to say nine out of eight cats for nine lives. Ooh, very good. Yeah. Thank you so much to Vanessa Rosetto for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa DeMonts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam. Or on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash show. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at SheIsNotMelissa, at Allison Raskin, and at Gabby Road. Bye! Forever! Yeah.